Morning, folks. Good morning. Uh, welcome. We haven't met. My name's uh, Matthew. I'm the associate pastor here. We're really glad you're here today. Um, we've been doing a series on church, and we're going to uh, think a little bit more about that today. Uh, in fact, uh, this is the last one in the series, isn't it? So we better wrap it up. I'm realizing that now. No, not really. Um, friends, how about I pray as we engage with God's word together? Heavenly Father, we thank you, um, as always, for speaking to us uh, through your word, the Bible. Thank you that we have an awesome saviour who saves us utterly and completely and brings us into your family um, and thinks that we can be that family, your church. And we pray that today as we uh, read your word and hear it preached, uh, we would be changed by it and you would make us more like Jesus and more like the loving Christian community that you want us to be. Amen. Uh, we've spent the last three weeks uh, talking about um, different aspects of what church is about. Um, so two weeks ago, I can't count, um, a few weeks ago, it was this, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, we talked about churches gathering to hear God speak in the Bible. So we talked about listening to the word of God and the importance of that. Last week, Stuart talked about um, the importance of serving one another. Church is about serving one another with the gifts that God has given us. Um, today, we're going to talk about church is, a gather, is gathering as a community of God's people that God saved. Um, I've been involved in quite a few churches uh, up till now. I was counting it yesterday. Um, I've been part of seven churches. This is my seventh church, whatever that means, is the relevance of that. Uh, when I was starting to be a church pastor at college, they encouraged us to be part of several churches over our time at college. So we've got a breadth of experience. So I've got a bunch of extra churches that I, I got to be part of as a, as a result of that. Um, and over that time, because I've been in a variety of churches, I've heard pe- lots of people's concerns and difficulties with getting to church and church being a community. Um, some difficulties I've heard have been fairly unique, um, you know, there's unique problems everywhere, but some things I've heard over and over and over again. Here's some that I've heard over and over and over again. The central thing is, my church doesn't feel like a community. I've heard that in every church I've been at, not from everybody, some people feel like it's a good community, but I've always heard at least some people in a church feel like it's not a community. So I've heard, I uh, don't know anybody very well, I don't feel connected, the church isn't, community isn't working. Um, there's a bunch of cliques and there's no way into them. Uh, the relationships are a bit superficial and I can't seem to break through to a deeper level of knowing people a bit more. Um, that sort of thing. I've heard them from people who are still in their churches and struggling with that. And I've heard those same reasons as the reason people have left churches and gone looking for another church where they can find community uh, because they haven't found it where they are. Um, if you haven't heard those concerns at our church yet, that's because we're that little seedling Stuart's talking about. Believe me, You'll hear those concerns in our church before too long. Uh, it's pretty much inevitable. Because it's, it's not just a felt issue of uh, some people. I think it's actually a substantial issue. It's an issue we need to think about, um, how we can address. Uh, it's got to do with the way our society has changed, partly, that it makes church community a harder thing to pull off, I think, and I'll talk about that in a little while. Uh, but it's a real issue. How do we, uh, what does it mean to, for a church to be a loving community? What's it look like? Uh, how do we go about making it happen? Because the Bible envisages Jesus' church being a community of loving relationships. People who do life side by side with each other, loving the least, helping each other, practical spiritual needs, uh, doing life together in its ups and downs, serving the Lord Jesus together, shoulder to shoulder, uh, all sorts of things. Uh, Whenever I have seen and experienced that, um, everybody involved in it has thought it was amazing and they wish it could just be normal forever. (laughs) Uh, but everybody I've talked to has also experienced it not being that as well. Uh, why wouldn't you want to be part of a church community like that? It's, it's, it's great when it happens. Uh, but the reality that a lot of people experience hasn't been that at all. Their experience has been, on Sunday I turn up to a religious event, 
with a bunch of strangers and then go home again. A lot of people experience it that way. And to overcome that, well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Church as a community versus church as a once a week religious event with strangers. One of the things I want you to take away from today is that community, especially in today's world, takes a lot of effort to pull off. You can't just hope it'll happen and just put no effort into it. It takes effort for it to happen. Um, Statistics show, just generally, the Australian community is increasingly more isolated, more disconnected from their neighbours, more disconnected from unions, clubs, unions, clubs and other voluntary societies and have fewer friends than ever before. Um, Study after study shows that that's the case. People struggling more generally. It's not just a church issue. It's an all-of-Australia society issue. People are measurably more lonely than ever before. Community is something people struggle with. So let's get into it. Um, The first thing we want to say is finding new life in Jesus naturally leads to living it out in church community. Naturally leads to living it out in church community. That's not my sentence. You'll find it on our brochure. Uh, The gospel of Jesus creates community. Gospel of Jesus, the message of Jesus, how he gets saved, that creates community, the collection of people called Jesus Church. Jesus makes his people new by the Holy Spirit and teaches them to relate to each other differently. And so you read about being devoted to others, being the servant of others, respect, humility, patience, forgiveness, faithfulness, bearing with others. That's got to make better relationships, right, where people actually do that? It's got to make better relationships. But there's more to it than that. See, this experience of salvation in Jesus actually involves joining a community. Let me say that again because it's really important and not a lot of people today, not enough people today, realise it. Becoming a Christian isn't just an individual experience. Becoming a Christian involves joining Jesus' community. It isn't an add-on. It's a fundamental part of the experience of being a Christian. Now, I think... um, Last week, Stuart talked a little bit about a concept that looks something like this. Well, it didn't look like this, but words were the same. Um, We talk about being saved from and being saved into. The first point is, how do you become a Christian? You are saved from sin and judgment because Jesus died for you. At the cross, we find forgiveness in Jesus. And because we find forgiveness, we are saved from sin and judgment, we are saved into Jesus' church community. It's a natural progression. Whenever God calls people out of darkness... He calls them into his church. It's one seamless activity. Have a look at Acts chapter 2 and we'll see it in practice. Don't just take my word for it. You've got Acts chapter 2 there in your Bibles? Both of our passages demonstrate this dynamic I'm talking about. Be saved from sin and judgment means naturally progress. The natural next step is in Jesus' church. It's just one seamless activity. Acts chapter 2. So the Apostle Peter's preached his sermon. First he talks about salvation, Right? Uh, verse, uh, let's go to verse 33, he talks about Jesus. He says, Jesus is exalted to the right hand of God. He's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Come down to verse 36, here's the bit which really concerns them. Uh, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Jesus is the king of everything and you killed him. Uh, a fundamental part, basic starting point for becoming a Christian, isn't it, is realising you're a sinner in need of God's forgiveness. Uh, it's a pretty unique situation to be in to realise the worst sin you ever committed was murdering God's son. But that's what these guys worked out. But it's the same for everybody. 
They realise they're in a sinner, a sinner in need of forgiveness and they're devastated. Verse 37, when people heard this, they were cut to the heart, rightly, and said to Peter and the other apostles, I you know, think desperate voice, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness is available in Jesus because he died for you. I mean, that's got to mess with their brains. You killed Jesus and that was bad, and now because Jesus died, he can pay for your sins. You can think about that later. But Jesus died for people's sins. Well, what's the next step? They, they all went home because salvation's an individual experience and they never saw each other again. Is not what happened. Come down to um, verse 41. It says, Those who accepted his message were baptised. So that's how they started off the Christian life. They said, yes, we're for Jesus. Yes, we trust in him now. Yes, we'll be saved now. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They joined the church. They became part of the community. To be saved means joining the community. It's a seamless activity. To be saved from sin and judgment, we're saved into Jesus' church. That's part of the same. It's, it's, it's the one action. Let's turn to Hebrews. We'll see the same thing again. We'll come back to Acts chapter 2. So it might be worth putting a finger in it. Um, Acts chapter 2 describes the early church community and what they did. We'll have a look at that in a little while. It's actually really important. Um, we come to Hebrews chapter 10, page 1211 on your, your pew Bibles. Um, I think now the chairs that we use are joined together. They count as pews personally, so the pew Bibles. Hebrews 10, 19 to 25 was our second reading. Let's just look through that. Again, what you'll see is people are saved from sin and judgment... And therefore, they're part of a church. They're part of Jesus' church. And they meet together as part of that church. They gather together. Listen to the wonderful salvation we have. Therefore, brothers and sisters, and this is directly to all Christians, listen to it to you. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, that's heaven, by the blood of Jesus, because Jesus died for us, we have absolute confidence to enter into God's presence. That's amazing. By the new and living way that's opened through the curtain, that is his body, he died for us. And since we have a great priest over the house of God... Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. We're no longer guilty. We have full assurance before God. And having our bodies washed with pure water. Let's hold unswervingly to that hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Hold firm to Jesus. That's where salvation is. And then he comes into what sounds like a random thought. And... Let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. It sounds like a really random add-on. Jesus died for you, it's wonderful, it's amazing, you've got full forgiveness, so go to church. It's actually not random at all. The experience of being called out of darkness into God's kingdom involves joining Jesus' community. So don't give up on joining Jesus' community. You need to be part of it. It's actually for your good. Have a look what it says. Um, at church, in the church community... We consider how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We help each other live for Jesus. Um, down uh, verse 25, near the end of it, encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, church, church community, your brothers and sisters in Christ that you have shoulder to shoulder alongside you, are the means God has given you to continue walking in Jesus until he returns. It's a really big, important part of your salvation and continuing your salvation and growing in your salvation and knowing Jesus is church community. So we need to be part of it, is what he's saying. It's really important. 
Now, the, op- uh, the opposite's also true. Salvation's the nat- uh, church is the natural outcome of salvation. Uh, the opposite of that's also true. Just think about that for a moment. Um, what does church mean? Anyone? We've been here for a few weeks doing this. What does the word church mean? Gathering? Yep, it's Jesus gathering, the, op- the gathering of God's, uh, Jesus' people. Um, what's the opposite of gathering? Sorry? There's an action of bringing people, drawing them to yourself, gathering to themselves. What's the opposite of that? Sorry? Dispersing, yep. Or scattering is the word I'm going to use, but that's, that's the concept. It's out of presence, away from each other and away from God. See, in the Bible, whenever God saves people, he draws them to himself and he draws them together to be a family together. Whenever God judges people, he sends them away from himself and away from each other. Think Tower of Babel. Think the exile of Israel. In every case, when God judges, it's away from God and away from each other. It's, the opposite's also true. So the experience of salvation involves gathering. It involves being part of God's family, God's gathering. And the experience of judgment involves scattering. You see, it isn't a fluke that the worst judgment that the Bible gives for a church community to place on one of its members is exiling them from the gathering. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If somebody continues in sin, completely unrepentant, and doesn't want to turn away and follow Jesus again, then they can't gather with you. They need to be away from the family until they're willing to repent and join the family again. Gathering and salvation go together. Scattering and judgment go together. Now, the reason I want to talk about that is because a lot of you will have friends who call themselves Christians who don't go to church. Uh, And we need to think about that for a moment. Uh, What do we say to them? Uh, My attitude towards people in that boat, because of what I read read in the Bible, is that I am extremely concerned for them. Uh, Extremely. Uh, Everything I read in the Bible teaches me that it is completely alien to Christianity to do Christianity on your own. You can't do it. You can't do it over the long haul. It's not the experience of Christianity. And frankly, in my experience, when people have been in that boat, it's actually been part of the process of them moving away from God, moving away from God's family and then moving away from God, or in the opposite order, it doesn't matter. But it's actually very dangerous to be apart from God's family. You can't do it on your own. A Christian refusing to be a part of a church community is always a sign something's wrong. Now, I've got to say, it could be for all sorts of good reasons, couldn't it? Uh, It could be because they're facing a very difficult time in life, in which case hopefully the church family will help them. Uh, It could be because they've had an awful experience at a particular church and they're just too hurt by their experience of a church to look for another one yet. But that'll take time to heal. But again, it'll heal... And they need to think again about how they can get to church. We need to help people in the situation about how they can be part of a church community because it's part of God's vision for how we live together. But often it's not wanting to be part of a church. It's just a sign of stubbornness, uh, immaturity and backsliding. Um, so if you've got friends in that situation, um, here's three points that I like to discuss with people in this situation. You need to work out how they go off in your conversation. But here's the, here's the issues. There's three issues, I think. Um, the first one is they're disobeying God. Uh, I think it's worth raising with them. Uh, we just read in Hebrews 10.25, uh, don't, give, uh, don't give up the habit of meeting together. Well, they're giving up the habit of meeting together. Obey God, meet with Christians. It's the first thing I'd say. Uh, the second thing I would say uh, is you're acting selfishly uh, because you're acting all about you. Last week, Stuart told us, uh, rightly, if you don't want to be part of a church and serve the church, you're actually impoverishing the church. You're taking away from the church because God's given you gifts and all of his people gifts to serve one another and refusing to be part of the church is actually robbing other people. The last thing I'd say is 
uh, it's very foolish to ignore the means God has given us to endure to the end of the race. It's very foolish. God's given us a church family to help one another. And so we need to be part of that family and be helped and help one another. Uh, You need to work out how that goes in your conversation, but can I encourage you, be concerned for people who call themselves Christians and don't go to church. Uh, It's actually a very, very uh, crucial part of being a Christian and continuing as a Christian. Come back to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at what the pattern of meeting together, the pattern of church community was in the early church. Um, Acts chapter 2, 42, it's fairly well known, because whenever people talk about church community, they go here, uh, and there's some really good points here, but you can't apply them really simplistically. Um, we're going to get to that in a little while. Uh, let's read what we find in Acts chapter 2, uh, page 1092. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Here's what this church did. Now they're a church. Here's their lifestyle. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's what we do when we read the New Testament and think about how it applies to us. That's exactly what they were doing, basically, except it wasn't written down yet, uh, mostly. Um, breaking of bread, um, it doesn't, that doesn't actually refer to the Lord's Supper. They did that. But what that means is they sat down and had lunch with each other regularly. They did meals together. It's actually hard for me to overstate this. Eating together was an absolutely fundamental experience of Christian community in the early church, and it still should be. It's a significant way human beings relate to one another and get to know each other and do community together. They broke bread together. They regularly ate together. They prayed together, obviously. Verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Um, I'm not an apostle, so that won't be happening today. Verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They had extraordinary generosity towards each other. If somebody was in need, they were willing to sell things they owned in order to provide for those who needed something. And you know what that means, though. They knew each other really well. It means they had to have real conversations because they knew when they were in need. People didn't go it alone because you could see when somebody else was in need and they talked about it. They trusted each other enough to be vulnerable with each other. Verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts They broke bread, there it is again, very important. They ate together in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. Now, it's a point so obvious that I have to make it. (laughs) They lived near each other, (laughs) is the reason they could do that. They lived in physical proximity to each other, which meant that they saw each other every single day of the week. That's how they could develop community. Because they ran, their paths crossed during the week. They could, in the course of normal activities, meet each other, bump into each other around town. They went to the temple, so they hung out together at the temple. They lived and worked near each other, so they had opportunity every day to eat with each other. It was just a normal thing they could do. We don't quite have that opportunity today, do we? I'm going to come back to that, because that's very, very important. I just want you to notice that they had lots of opportunity to develop relationships and to develop deeper community. Um, Verse 47. um, They praised God and enjoyed the favour of all the people and the Lord added to their number. There it is again. People were saved and they joined the church very naturally. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. An implication of that is their community was really attractive, the way they related to each other, and it was part of the reason people wanted to become Christians. 
because they saw how these Christians related to each other. They wouldn't be the last people to be attracted to Christianity because of the way Christians loved each other and related to each other. Now, friends, this is a picture of an engaged, loving, vibrant church community. Can we do that at New Life Anglican Church? Yes and no. Both of those answers are very, very important. Yes, the principles here will be absolutely foundational to our church being a community and not just a bunch of loosely associated strangers. We're still developing that. It takes time to get to know people. We've been going for, what have we been going for now, Stuart? Two years? Two years isn't long enough to develop deep relationships. We're in process. It takes time. These principles will be foundational to us developing community, but that community will be very different to the one in Acts, and it'll be very different to one in the 1950s. It'll be very different to one in the 1980s. Things are still changing. And so I want to uh, tell you a story about how community has changed. Uh, It's really social history, but using the word story sounds less intimidating. Uh, I want to compare two societies for you. I want you to see how society's changed, and I want to label the challenge we have to face if we're going to be a church community. Uh, It's very generalised. It's really a summary of the last 400 years. Uh, Some of the things are still changing just now. For most of history, community was about where you live. Where you live determined your community. You got to know people that lived near you. Proximity, physical proximity to people meant you got to know them. Location is community. And so in our story, people live in their house and they live next door to neighbours. Classically, they didn't have massive fences that kept the neighbours away because it wasn't about privacy. It was about getting to know each other and living near each other because you relied on each other. This was your local community. Very natural thing. There's a good chance that kids play together. There's a good chance people work together and shop together. Where you work is also about location. People go to the field. The people who go and work in the field together probably live near each other. They probably do other things with each other. Their networks daily are intersecting with each other and they've probably worked together for a long time. Again, relationships naturally form. When they go to the shops, chances are they know the shopkeeper. Chances are they know the people are shopping alongside because they're here every Tuesday along with me, shopping. Community naturally forms, and we see these people, they live near me as well, and it's just very, all very natural. When we go and do sport together, well, the guys I'm doing sport with, they probably work with, and they live near me because they all walk down to the field to do the sports game, and we do it at the same time. Already, we've painted a picture of community, or at least a massive potential for community, because these people are already doing life alongside each other, right? It's kind of like in Acts. In Acts, these people are doing their shopping, they're doing their working, they're doing their recreation, they're doing everything in proximity to each other. So hanging out a bit and encouraging each other in Jesus is really easy. There's lots of opportunity. So friends, relationships, really important, naturally form around shared experiences. If you only have one experience you share with somebody or one context... It's going to hinder the development of that relationship. It can only be a certain level. It can only be a certain level of depth. For it to grow, there needs to be more experiences and different kinds of experiences. People need to live their lives alongside each other a bit. And people previously could do that. Now, in our picture here, um, some of these people are Christians. By the time they get to church on Sunday, they've already spent their week hanging out with the people they're at church with. They don't have to get to know each other. They're at a real advantage here compared to us. Uh, They have most likely their network of activities, I'll use that language, their network of activities, all these lines that go to all the places they go to in the week, overlap and join together at the same places quite often. 
three places during the week, you might see the same person. We play sport together, we live near each other, we work with each other, we hang out. Doing church together, I already know this person. Now all I need to do is get on with loving them the way Jesus taught me to. Because we already know each other. We already have opportunity to hang out. Location determines community. And uh, if you are familiar with the old Anglican Book of Common Prayer, it's no fluke that there is a service there called morning and evening prayer. Because every single day at church, there was a morning prayer service and there was an evening prayer service because people lived locally. They could go to church at the beginning before work and after work and encourage each other in Jesus. Because community worked that way. It was very easy, uh, natural, to add church community to the community that's already local to us. Now, there's one more crucial ingredient that makes this work, and that is that people had a shared calendar. Uh, It's hard to overstate how important that is, and that's still in flux. That's still changing. Um, Days now are all the same. (laughs) Previously, that was not the case. Uh, We all share the same calendar. On Monday to Friday, we work. On Saturday, we go to market or do recreation. On Sunday, we go to church. The shops are closed. We go to church. And we do family time. It's all very structured. You, you, the shops can't open on Sunday because that's wrong. Because it's about community. And people shared a calendar that actually served community happening. And it means everybody's available for community events such as church. Now in Acts they had all those sort of natural opportunities. And that is not our world though, is it? It's not our world. I don't want to pretend that's our world. Uh, we have different challenges. Location now is no longer relevant to community the way it was. We're spread out. We're very mobile. Um, We don't do community now by proximity. We do community by networks. Networks, because we're so mobile, that are spread out over very large distances. Uh, You need a car to get to them. Uh, And now we no longer expect to get to know the people who live physically near us. It's not an expectation anymore. And so many of the settings that in this picture I've just drawn were ones very personal and you got to know people and expected to know people in these settings. A lot of those settings have now become entirely transactional and impersonal. And that makes community a whole lot more difficult. On this map, if I drew it, if I, I would have to draw overlapping over three million networks that overlap each other like spider's webs. And What's the chances of those things intersecting at various points? Uh, not a whole lot. We're very spread out. Our networks of interaction were once, once our networks of interaction during the week, like this, we intersected with a few thousand people. Now we intersect with millions of people. And we ignore them because we're used to walking past anonymous people because that's the way our society works now. Uh, and most people you see in one setting, you don't expect to see anywhere else. Now, in this setting, people live, there's a person living on their own, they've got fences around their house, and they don't expect to get to know their neighbours. This is where their friends live, all over the southwest. These are the people they want to spend time with. It's a network. Um, work is often a long distance away, and people travel past millions of people literally to get there and don't expect to know them. You can't know them. It's not the way our society works. It's a grid of four and a half million individual networks all intersecting. Even you go to Norellan shops and you expect it to be anonymous, largely anonymous. You might run into a couple of people you know, but that's because you know them from a different network. You don't make friends at the shop these days. And the person behind the counter, you don't expect to know them. You expect to have a transactional relationship where you get something done. You go to a sports or hobby club and the people that come to that sports or hobby club have come from a very large distance, very randomly around it, and have passed across the paths of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people in order to get there. Proximity and community just don't naturally correspond anymore. 
and then you come to church on Sunday. Basically, every context you've experienced this week has been disconnected from all the others. Home, friends, work, shops, school, and then you add church, and it's yet another disconnected network spread out over a large area. This is the challenge. Uh, People's paths don't naturally cross during the week. Now, I read Acts 2. I'm going to just say to the church, okay, friends, let's be the church of Acts chapter 2. And it's a ridiculous thing to say. It takes... Uh, addressing these kinds of issues, the issues we're talking about, if we're going to be the church like Acts chapter 2, because we don't live in a village. (laughs) Our paths don't overlap with hundreds and thousands of people, they overlap with millions of people. And so we need to think this through. One of the things it means is uh, you can't put the kind of pressure on a one and a half hour gathering on Sunday morning to make a community. Communities have never been made in an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, and they won't be today either. It'll be a significant part of making a community, but it won't be the whole thing. It just You're putting too much pressure on Sunday mornings if you want it to feel like a community on its own. It doesn't work that way. That's not even how, compli- how, how difficult it gets. We don't have a shared calendar anymore. What that means is uh, people can work at any time. There's no universally set-aside calendar, no time set aside. Um, we expect shops to be open every day now. Uh, and four out of five Australians... uh, regard Sunday not as a church day. It's another generic weekend day if they don't have to work. And what that means, and this is very important and very different to previously, what that means is that sport, birthday parties, hobby clubs, shopping are all things that are expected to be available to happen on Sunday morning when you traditionally be gathering with your church family, doing a central gathering as a church family. It's a regular church. It's redefined to becoming three out of five weeks. Two out of five weeks. Now, I hope you can see how challenging that is. Let's talk about some solutions. It's a very challenging context, and we live, we should just say, we live in a society that is hurting because of these issues. Uh, we are the more, more lonely, more depressed, and have fewer friends than ever before, Australia. That's where we are now. And church communities should have something to say to that but we need to work at it ourselves first. And Jesus gives us a great deal of ways to work at that. Um, For church community to exist, much less flourish, what I want to say is it needs to be nurtured, it needs to be invested in and practised, and a significant amount of time needs to be spent experiencing and enjoying it in multiple ways, not just one. Here's five strategies I've got. Five strategies, they're not the end of the story, and I'd love you to talk about them, I'd love you to tell me some better ones, but I think these are pretty fundamental. Um, Number one, come to church every week and stay for morning tea. (laughs) Uh, On Sunday, we sit under the Word of God, we sing the Bible, we pray the Bible, we encourage each other, we get to see our church family uh, large. Morning tea is a really important part of church. It's not just a social, polite, social way to end church. It's actually really important. It's a time to greet each other, meet new people, develop relationships. It's absolutely crucial to church. Um, But I've said come every week. It's hard to do in our society because there's so many other things on Sunday, but I still want to call you to it because your commitment to Sunday morning is a building the foundation stones of what will make our church a community and not just an event of strangers. Um, Let me show you why that works in practical terms. Um, I'm going to define regular as somebody who comes four out of five weeks. Um, The reason I've said four out of five is because I'm compensating for sick sick days and uh, holidays and that sort of thing. These are coming up too slow. Yeah, good. So people who aim to come every week, minus 10 weeks for, weeks for um, illness and holidays. Um, 
I'm defining almost regular as three out of five weeks. That's 31 weeks a year at church compared to 42 plus, um, and that's a very significant difference. We're talking about relationships, right? So I just want to show you this because this is where it matters. Say you come three out of five weeks and other people come three out of five weeks, you will see each other 18 times a year at church out of 52 because you're comparing attendances and they have to correlate. That means you'll see each other 18 times. Uh, 25 times, you'll, three out of five people will see four out of five people. Um, you start coming 33 plus regulars seeing regulars when people come four out of five in the year. And now we're starting to get somewhere. But can you see the issue? Uh, a week off church and lots of weeks off church actually mean you miss people for months, potentially, and your paths don't intersect very often. And so relationally, it can be very significant to come four out of five rather than three out of five and just aim to come every week. And if you do better than that, it'll be good for the community and it'll be good for you. Compliment Kate's matters when you think we're going to grow as well. If we grow to 100 people by Christmas, we'd love to see that. Uh, We don't want you to turn up at Christmas and wonder who everybody is. We'd love it to feel like a community. I just want to say something to people who are feeling a little uneasy with what I said. There's two groups of people I just want to say something for. Um, Possible reasons for not coming. Shift work, business trips, lots of illness or chronic illness. Um, We love you if you're in those situations and we're glad you're here and we're glad you're here as much as you can get here. Um, I do want to say to you, if you can manage to come more, it'll do you good and it'll do us good. We'll benefit from having you here. But I just want to say, I'm not having a go at you if you're in that situation. It's a challenge you have to face and the shape of our society is making it hard for you. And uh, please, if you're suffering from chronic illness, help us help you. Uh, Don't be isolated. Uh, We'd love to help you with that. Um, But there's a lot of other things that happen on Sundays now as well. Family get-togethers, kids' activities, parties, sporting events... I'm just going to call you now. Can you just say no? <laughs> you are booked on Sunday morning. You have a church family who needs you to grow in Christ. And you need them to grow in Christ. And if you're not regularly here, you won't get to know them. We won't be a community if people go to church if there's nothing better on. And friends, that means making that decision as households, not just individuals. It means making it with and for your kids. One of the most significant things you can do with your kids, because they don't make many life decisions for following Jesus yet, do they? Help them make the decision to say, we're saying no to Sunday sport because Jesus is more important and Jesus' family is more important. It could be the first significant thing they do for Jesus. Help them with that. It's a really crucial discipleship decision for them. Um, we believe in church, doing church um, big and small. That's a long one. Um, join a weekly life group. Life groups are like Bible study, basically, um, but we pray together, and typically we eat together because it's a great way to get to know people. They happen on Wednesdays. They happen on Friday morning as a women's one, um, and there's one at Ch- the Chesalon Village on Friday as well. Um, great way to get to know people. Really crucial for building relationships in a smaller setting. Um, invite other Christians to your home. Straightforward application of what we just read in Acts chapter 2. If you've never done it, get in the habit Uh, I think you'll be shocked at the difference it can make, the difference it can make between moving from superficial to a bit deeper relationship and developing a relationship. Get to know people by inviting them over a few times. Um, Different people bring out different aspects of um, other people's personalities too, so invite several people at once. It's a great way to do it. Um, And you'll get to know a bunch of people and you'll be developing community relationships because people naturally relate over food. Uh, And I think if we were the church that regularly ate together in each other's houses... We, it's just foundational for developing community relationships. It's, it's that simple. Um, are you worried or embarrassed about the state of your house? Uh, I know some of you are thinking that. Um, that's all right. Look at the picture. 
that's a sandpit that gets used. People are allowed there. This is a sandpit that doesn't get used. People are not allowed there. It's very simple. This is a house that is not for people. Don't think your house will look like that because that's not a house for people. That's a house for a catalogue. This is a house for people. It's just what my house looked like yesterday when I took the photo. You walk a minute, it's a bit messy. The reason it's messy is because people use it. And we'd love other people to come and use it too and that's how we get to know each other. And particularly, friends, if you've got little critters that look like that, we're going to extend extra grace to you about the state of your house because that's how your life looks and that's good and it's wonderful. Invite people into it and accept that this way it is. Don't, be, don't try and look like the silly catalogue pictures. They aren't houses. They're, you know, models of what houses could be if nobody lives in them, uh, which is silly. Um, anyway, invite other people to your house. Fourth thing, organise and engage in a variety of activities with others from church. Um, any activity is good. Do a variety of activities alongside people. You get to know them differently in different ways. Personally, I'm very much looking forward to in a little while I get to shoot Andrew DeMarco with a paintball gun. And it's going to be wonderful and we're going to get to know each other better because we're going paintballing. Um, come and join me and shoot Andrew DeMarco with a paintball gun. But a variety of social activities is a good way to get to know people. You can't do it in one setting. Uh, Stuart and I aren't going to organise them, though. There won't be many official New Life Anglican Church social outings, that sort of thing. Uh, you are hereby empowered to do it because it's not our job. Uh, that's, it's, it's just not what the pastor's job is. Uh, that's the job of everybody. Let's make community happen. Um, let me just read something that's in our church brochure that I'd love you to... Um, I think it's pretty good. Um, it says, uh, At New Life Anglican Church, we aim to give and live the message of new life in weekly life groups in our Sunday gathering, and in between by simply doing life together. We look forward to eating, drinking, running, writing, praying, reading. Stuart must have hid, you know, smuggled the word writing in, but anyway. Celebrating together as expressions of our love for Jesus and for each other. There's a bunch of different activities there, and they're all foundational for people knowing each other in real ways. Last thing I want to say, commit to a church long term. Um, it takes, in my judgment, three years to get to be part of a church community, that's how long it takes to get to know people. Year one, you're learning names and working out what's what. Year two, you're working out where you can contribute and serve. Year three, you just may start to feel like you own a share in the place. And hopefully you will. But a lot of Christians leave churches and go find another one every three to five years, which means they start again. And they wonder why they've never found church community. It's because they haven't given themselves a chance. Commit to a church long term. Invest in it long term because that's where community is found. Friends, can I urge you to invest in making our church a church community? I can't do that. We have to do that. Let's pray for God's help. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus and how much he's done for us. Thank you that you've made us your family. Um, we, we acknowledge that there's a lot of difficulties with creating church communities these days and not just collections of strangers that meet together sometimes. Um, please help us to be committed to making church a community. Um, please help us to make difficult decisions and um, forsake doing other things on Sundays and at other times that will help us make church into a church community. Uh, please help us to make practical steps. Uh, and I pray, Father, that you teach us to love each other and give us situations and the development of relationships that make it possible to love each other in real and meaningful ways. Amen.